Rapture predictions hit an all-time high this year. Someone noticed that the stars and the planets that form the sign in the heavens predicted in Revelation chapter 12 was actually going to happen on September 23rd of this year. Using a program called Stellarium, it was said that the particular alignment had never occurred before and never would again. So I, I can't figure out all that software. I, I looked at it, but it involves mathematics, and so that's rough. I can do simple division, that's about it. But uh, anyway, um, that part is actually true. The, the particular alignment uh, was unique. And as if that wasn't enough, the sign coincided with this year's Feast of Trumpets. I disagree, but many who emphasize Bible prophecy think that the rapture will con uh, coincide with the Feast of Trumpets one year. We don't believe that because we believe that the Bible teaches imminence when it comes to the rapture. Uh, but there are a lot of good people who think that the Lord will come during the Feast of Trumpets. Well, the Feast of Trumpets came. Revelation 12 sign occurred in the heavens. As far as I know, we're still here. Uh, I, I guess I could be left behind, but you would have been gone if the rapture had actually happened. So I don't think the rapture happened. A few of these guys are hanging on saying that the rapture will take place before October 14th. So we've still got a couple of days. Uh, it could, but only because it can happen at any time. Uh, and uh, so, um, you know, they had some compelling things that they were talking about. But now that the dust has settled, we can talk about something that was overshadowed by these Revelation 12 predictions. All of this actually started when a conservative Bible scholar professor of theology at prestigious Dallas Theological Seminary, rediscovered something in Revelation 12 that is regularly overlooked or ignored or dismissed. In that prophetic passage we read, let me just read it to you, it's Revelation 12, we're going to read through verse 9. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God in his throne. When the woman fled into the wilderness, there she had a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days, which is three and a half years. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now the overlooked or dismissed or ignored insight is the simple phrase in verse five, caught up. It is the word harpazo. And that should sound familiar to you. You should recognize it from 1 Thessalonians chapter four, verse 17, where the apostle Paul said, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Same word, Harpazo, rendered caught up. In Latin, the word would be rapturo. 
In Greek, it's harpazo. In English, it's caught up, but it's, it's how we describe the rapture. I don't know if anybody's ever said to you that the rapture, the word rapture isn't in the Bible, and that's um, not really true, but what they mean is that it, it doesn't come to us through the Greek, but it does come to us through the Latin. And so in Latin, it's rapturo. In Greek, it's harpazo. In English, it's caught up, but it is the word that describes the rapture of the church. And so here's a fascinating fact. In the book of the Revelation, which is all about the end times, the only occurrence of the word harpazo is this one time in chapter 12. It occurs nowhere else in the book of the Revelation. Now, we do see types and figures of the rapture in the Revelation. There are several of them. One of them is when John is called up to heaven in chapter 4. He becomes a type of the church being raptured to heaven, but it's not described as the rapture and the wording isn't caught up. There's no harpazo involved. This is the only time the word we associate with the rapture is used. You'd think that the great prophetic book of the New Testament would have at least one passage directly about the rapture of the church. Well, maybe this is it. Well, wait a minute, you object. This is describing Jesus's ascension into heaven, not the rapture. Well, is it? Harpazo means to seize, to catch away, to pluck, to pull, and to take up by force. Here's the ascension of Jesus from Acts chapter one, and see if you would describe this as a taking by force. Uh, Acts 1.9, now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus seems to float slowly up and out of the disciples' sight, like those Mickey balloons at Disneyland. Five bucks, I think. Is, are they still five bucks? Are they, no, they're more? Would you believe 10? But anyway, and then they're just, they're all over the sky, you know, and, but, and you just watch them. There's something fascinating about watching them fly up. And so the disciples are with Jesus. He goes to the uh, mount there and he starts to ascend into heaven and they watch him and they're still watching him when these two witnesses finally say, hey, you guys, there's work to be done. Go wait in uh, Jerusalem like he told you and then go into all the world. But, uh, you know, there's no sense in which you would say, this, has any, this is anything like uh, a harpazo, a forcible taking. And remember, too, that the revelation is about future events. The ascension of Jesus was not future when John wrote the book. And so if he's writing about future events, he wouldn't be writing about the ascension of Jesus. The rapture was future. John was not looking back but ahead to the future rapture. So wait a minute, you object. If this is true, how come no one else has ever seen it? Well, they have. Most notably, John Nelson Darby and H.A. Ironside taught that this passage was describing the rapture of the church. One author said, and I quote, Revelation 12 was the original proof text of the modern dispensational movement and the founders of modern pre-tribulationism recognized it as such. And so it isn't that no one has seen it so much as it is that we have overlooked it or ignored it or dismissed it uh, because of the uh, 
the teaching that we've received. I'm not saying it's wrong teaching necessarily, but uh, this was at one time a commonly understood text to talk about the rapture of the church. So how does this work out if it is describing the rapture? Well, there are three symbolic persons in Revelation 12, the woman, the dragon, and the male child. Pre-trib, premillennials like ourselves do not dispute much as to the identity of the woman or the dragon, especially the dragon because we're told who he is in this section directly. The signs and symbols of the Revelation draw heavily from the Old Testament. I remember hearing Chuck Missler say one time that there's something like 800 references to the Old Testament in the Revelation, or 800 times that you see something that was first explained in the Old Testament or that is a reference to the Old Testament. Uh, and so the Old Testament is sort of the decoder for the book of the Revelation. And so when people say it's filled with all of these signs and symbols and it's impossible to understand, well, that's wrong on two levels. First, it's wrong because uh, signs and symbols are given to make things clear, are they not? I mean, don't we have a lot of signage in the world and, and, and we've gone to symbols so that people can understand them more clearly than words? Uh, you know, you do, no longer do you have ped xing so much as you have a guy like this between lines so that anybody from anywhere at any level of intelligence can understand you shouldn't run anybody over in the crosswalk. And, and so signs and symbols are given to clarify, not to make things more mysterious. And so if anything, if you want to say that the revelation is filled with signs and symbols, well, that's great because then things should be clear in them. And secondly, we do have the decoder, the Old Testament, you just don't always recognize it. Uh, but when you do, as we'll see here with the woman, it makes perfect sense. And so the woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars, is easily identified as the nation of Israel. It comes from Joseph's dream in Genesis chapter 37, where he has a dream and he explains what it is and he describes uh, the relationships of, of the patriarch. Uh, and the, the tribes of Israel in this way. And so it's pretty clear that this is a reference to the nation of Israel. The dragon was identified for us in verse nine. We read, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And so there's no doubt, of course, that uh, about the identity of the dragon, it is the devil. So that leaves only the male child who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And so you immediately say, well, that's Jesus, right? Well, yes and no. And here's where I rely heavily on the articles I read by, uh, by and about this Dallas professor, Michael Spiegel. He says, and I quote, I argue that the symbol of the male child in Revelation 12:5 is best identified as the body of Christ, the church, and the child's catching up to God in his throne is best identified as the catching up of the body of Christ elsewhere described in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. One of his interesting observations involves the specific wording of an Old Testament passage. It's Isaiah 66. We wouldn't see it immediately because we don't read the texts in the original languages, nor do we understand the grammar. You might understand grammar. I don't understand the grammar. 
And if, if I don't understand English grammar, I certainly don't understand Hebrew grammar. Uh, but here's what Dr. Spiegel observes, and others would agree, this isn't something he's making up, this, this is the text. He says, the use of the neuter adjective, see, I'm lost right there, a neuter adjective. I, I barely know what an adjective is, uh, but a neuter adjective blows my mind. The neuter adjective arsen, which means male, modifying the masculine noun huios, which means son, and the image of Israel giving birth points careful readers back to Isaiah 66, verses 7 and 8, where we read in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, before she travailed, she brought forth, before her pain came, she gave birth to a boy, Arsen, who has heard such a thing, who has seen such things, can a land be born in one day? Can a nation be brought forth all at once? As soon as Zion travailed, she also brought forth her children. The image is parallel, he says, in Revelation, and John explicitly breaks the rules of Greek grammar, modifying the masculine son with the neuter male to point us back to a passage in Isaiah 66, this passage. The child in both cases is corporate, not individual. In other words, it involves a group, not a person. The Apostle John intentionally made a grammatical error in Revelation 12.5 by modifying masculine huios with neuter arson, clearly connecting this particular male child with the male child in Isaiah 66, which is a corporate entity. And so the words in Revelation 12 purposely send us back to Isaiah 66, and by doing so, they establish that the son being born is more than just one person. And we would say that it is Jesus as the head and the church as his body. Uh, and so... Basically, what he's saying is if you're a Jewish scholar or a scholar who can read Hebrew and you read this passage, you think, oh, where have I seen the neuter adjective before? It's in Isaiah 66, and the exact same wording is there. And so it's, it's a proof text that we're talking about something more than just Jesus. <clears throat> but doesn't it say the male child was to rule all nations with a rod of iron? That's Jesus, right? How is that the church? Well, in Psalm 2, verse 9... God does tell Jesus, you will break them, the nations, with a rod of iron. You will shatter them like earthenware. So he'll break them with a rod of iron, shattering them like earthenware. Then in Revelation chapter 2, verses 26 and 27, Jesus says this to the church. He says, he who overcomes, he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces as I also have received authority from my Father. And so what is true of Jesus is also true of the church. God promised him he would have a rod of iron and he would break the nations into pieces of pottery. And then Jesus says, I share that promise with you to the overcomer. You will also rule and reign with a rod of iron and you will break the nations as they were pottery. Revelation 19, Jesus and the armies come to earth fulfilling that promise. It says, the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may smite the nations. He'll rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God Almighty. This same Psalm is quoted in Revelation 12:5, applied to the male child. And so the conclusion is that the male child is Christ in union with his body, the church. I mentioned H.A. Ironside. 
Uh, you guys familiar with Ironside and his commentary series? He's a, a, a neat, neat guy to follow. There's a, a biography of him called Ordained of the Lord, and there's some great stories in there. He did ministry actually in the Fresno area at a time way back, but a neat uh, Bible guy. If you ever, in, you find his books a lot in used bookstores and in thrift stop, shops for some reason, and that's a shame because they're just gems. Uh, but anyway, I mentioned him. He said this in his commentary on Revelation. Is there any incongruity with understanding the male child to represent both Jesus, our Lord, and the church? Surely not, for he is the head of the body, the church, which is the fullness or completion of himself, so that the title, the Christ, is applied both to head and body viewed as one. We may, on the authority of Scripture itself, safely affirm that the male child represents the one new man who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron, Christ, the head, and the church, his body. And so this was uh, a common understanding uh, about 50 years ago uh, that's been lost to us. So let's say Revelation 12 is describing the rapture of the church. How does that affect the timing of the rapture? What do we really see happening then? Well, it essentially presents a summary of the entire seven years of the Great Tribulation with the rapture preceding it. Here's how. The rapture is likely what precipitates the war in heaven that is described here. Satan is, after all, the prince of the power of what? The air. He's the prince of the power of the air, which is an odd title, but it tells us that he has power in the atmospheric heavens. That's his domain, as it were. It's likely he tries to interfere with the rapture as the saints are passing through his atmospheric domain. Michael, the archangel, fights him. Remember, the discussion of the rapture by Paul in Thessalonians also mentions the archangel being present at that time, presumably to fight Satan, thereby allowing the church passage home. The catching up of the male child and the resulting war in heaven, therefore, would take place just prior to the start of the seven-year tribulation. And so a lot, of, a lot of Bible scholars that don't even talk about the Revelation 12 rapture uh, do talk about the interference of Satan with the rapture of the church. I was reading John MacArthur earlier today, and he said it's not explicit, but it's implicit by the mention of Michael in both cases that something is happening in, um, in the atmosphere. And so, uh, obviously, Satan is not happy as people are floating by. <laughs> and, uh, hey, this is my space. You know, it's a, he thinks he has a no trespassing situation uh, and so Michael the archangel is dispatched to deal with that. The war in heaven and then the casting down of Satan followed by the earthly invasion and an attempted attack on Israel, that would take place then in the first three and a half years. And then the reign of the beast and the flight of Israel into the wilderness would take place in the second half of the tribulation. And so it, um, the timing of it fits nicely. If this is the rapture, which many believe, then um, it, it's a pre-tribulation, premillennial rapture of the church. Now, the whole subject's worthy of further study. I mean, I admit myself, uh, this was kind of news to me. Uh, I love discovering things about the Bible. Just when you think you knew everything, right, then you find out that saints that have come before you uh, were, were pretty smart too. And, and so this is worth further study. Uh, there are scholars who argue that it's not the rapture of the church for various reasons, but the, uh, the evidence is pretty compelling uh, that this is the place in the Revelation where the premillennial, pre-tribulation rapture of the church 
is uh, said to occur. And one of our problems, just as human beings, but especially as, as uh, you know, human beings in the West, is that we're so independent, we don't really think about the body of Christ and the headship of Christ and the union of the head with the body. We don't, we, we and I'm, I'm, when I say we, I, I mean me, we give lip service to being one with Christ and, and all, uh, but we sort of think uh, individually still. And so it's hard for us. The hard thing is to wrap your head around the fact that how is this Jesus and the church uh, at the same time? But it really is because we are one with him. We are the body of Christ. We are a part of Jesus Christ in a very real sense. And uh, that's an exciting thing to rediscover as well. So for my part, I didn't really mind all the hype about the Revelation 12 sign. Uh, and I don't know if any of you follow this kind of stuff. Uh, it's, it, it, there's a, just a ton of stuff that is on the internet. It's laughable now, obviously, because the predictions didn't come true. Uh, but there's just, it was uh, at a fever pitch. I secretly was hoping that they were correct. Uh, I mean, I really was. I mean, I held on to my belief every time somebody would ask me, I'd say, well, I really do believe the Bible teaches imminence, that the Lord could come at any moment. But if you want to tell me he is coming this September 23rd, I'm all over that. Let's, you know, that's fine. That would be fine with me. I think he could come on the 22nd or the 21st or any time before that. But if you want to stick with that and if he actually comes then to freak us out, uh, that would be great too. So I, I, I wasn't all that critical because I think a lot of these people were sincere. They just were obviously sincerely wrong uh, because it didn't happen. And uh, it, it'll happen in, in the way that the Lord wants it to. But uh, I, was, I, was hoping, I was pulling for them. I was secretly in their court, you know, and, and uh, watching the time. I mean, some of these guys had it down to the, the actual hour of the blowing of the trumpet on the Feast of Trumpets. And they didn't know if it was going to be the first trumpet or the last trumpet or all this other stuff. And anyway, it's, it was crazy, but it didn't happen. But the fact that we weren't raptured during this year's Feast of Trumpets does not discourage us. It encourages us to remain ready, as we say every Sunday, because ready or not, Jesus is coming. Amen.